Welcome to Looking Backward, where we analyze an entrepreneur's past to learn about the skill set, experiences, and network that they have built over the years to put them on the trajectory that they're on now. I'm your host, Chad Sakonchik. Hello again, and welcome back to Looking Backward. Today, I have Allison Smith with Umai Marketing, who does social media marketing or online uh, marketing. So, Allison, thank you for coming. And why don't you tell us what Umai Marketing is? Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, Umai Marketing is it's a social media marketing agency. We focus on social advertising uh, as well as social organic um, to push the needle and to help grow businesses. We do uh, focus on consumer packaged goods, so that could be anything from food and beverages to beauty products. Um, so yeah. So you specifically do physical goods? Yes. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Is there a reason why you're in that, in that niche? Yeah. It's funny because in the past I've only done digital goods. Um, so we are kind of adding in that digital aspect to our business with, um, content and things like that with sellable content. Um, but the reason we, we wanted to do consumer packaged goods is because we are super um, brand heavy ourselves and we really enjoy working with clients that have like beautiful packaging and branding and um, sh a strong voice. Okay. And so if you were doing, I guess I shouldn't ask this question yet, but so what what it makes the Facebook marketing. So you do you just do Facebook marketing or is Facebook and Instagram or Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? Yes. Is it all of them? Is it Snapchat? Like what's the full gamut of your. So it, it kind of depends on the client, but our bread and butter is Facebook marketing, which they own Instagram. So I guess you could say Facebook and Instagram uh, marketing. Um, so I'm kind of in charge. We, we split it kind of, into um i'm part of the paid media side um so i'm doing like the media buying on facebook and instagram and then my partner is um has a lot of experience in the organic content side so she's actually the one that's like posting to your feed and um things like that but yeah when you say organic content you're you're talking about the the videos and the you know the staged photos and things like that yeah mm-hmm and so what, what is your general strategy of advertising these goods and how do you stand out from, you know, from other ads? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I think a lot, I think a lot of people, um, don't understand Facebook, uh, their algorithm or anything like that. So I've been doing it for six or something years. Um, so I think that helps for sure. Um, there's a lot of different variables that go into launching like a, a great campaign. Um, the creative, sure, that matters. The copy, that definitely matters. Um, we also build out like landing pages and things like that. So it's a lot of different things um, that all come into it. And why did you choose to kind of focus on on social media marketing as opposed to, you know, search engine or, you know, SEO or anything else. Yeah. Or is it just cause you had the experience? Well, 
I mean, I have dabbled. I think both of us have dabbled in SEO and other things and, you know, other platforms, like you were saying, like Snapchat or Pinterest. Um, but we wanted to kind of focus and niche down not only in the clients that we work with, but what we provide so that we could kind of give the best quality um, for what we're good at. And do you have partners where for the other types of marketing, you, you refer people to, so you can kind of help create a full, you know, kind of broad appeal for online marketing? Or do you just say, we're Facebook marketers, we do CPG book goods, and that's our, our niche, and that's what we're going to be really, really good at? Yeah, we, we will refer people because, like, you know, it's important to kind of pull all the levers. Um, we do offer like email marketing, smaller things like that, but, um, for large businesses that maybe need to do, um, more things then yeah, we would refer that out. Okay. So let's, uh, let's go back in time. What, what was okay. your first job or internship oh, or, or what, what do you got? What do you got for us? <laughs> well, my first job was working for my dad, um, at a, he does pumps for water and wastewater. So mm -hmm. like huge, huge pumps for like cities and things like that. Um, he started me out in the office and I hated it. So I, I begged him to put me in the warehouse um, on the floor because I wanted to like work with my hands. And I thought like desk jobs were so boring. Um, I think I was like 14 for that first job, but I remember, <laughs> I remember going to Walmart because you needed uh, steel-toed boots to work in the shop. Okay. And I, I found steel-toed tennis shoes instead that I thought were like so cool. So not only did I have like these weird steel-toed tennis shoes, and I was fourteen, and the boss's daughter, I was like the only female on the shop floor. So I'm not sure everyone loved me being there, but I really liked it. <laughs> Did you, did you make sure everyone knew that those were steel-toed shoes or? I, I mean, I like, yeah, I thought they were the coolest things ever. <laughs> and so what did you have to do in the warehouse? Like what was your um, normal, like what was the office job? Like what was your, what were your tasks in the office? The office what were your job, in the warehouse? Yeah, the office job was I, migrating all um, physical copies to like web copies. So it was, it sucked. Um, and they put me like in a cubicle and I was just like, it just like sucked the mood out of me. And I, that was probably the first time I realized like I'm not set out for office life. But, um, so then the shop job was we would, um, I learned how to weld at one point. Um, I would clean out, um, like pumps, like old pumps to like be reused and old pipes and things like that. And then, um, I also built circuit boards. So I would just what were the like, circuit boards for? Uh, or like switch panels for turning things on and off. I don't, I don't really know. So were they like manual things or do they have like an electronic? It was all electronic. Thing? So I like built all these like control panels. And you had to like solder stuff or? Um, no, I don't know if anything was soldered. It was just like putting the wires and like screwing it down on the plate. Oh, okay. okay and doing okay, okay. it like over and over and over again. Yeah. So it's just doing a repetitive job. Yeah. And that was like, they put me in the corner. That was kind of towards the end of it. They're like, okay, let's just put her over here. And, and how, how long did you do that for? 
that that was just for a summer um it was yeah and i don't even think my dad paid me like what was minimum wage it was under minimum wage but (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how legal that is but it was yeah i'm sure if it's if it's family it's probably you can probably get away with it yeah um so where did what did you do after that um you clearly didn't want to you clearly didn't want to go back (laughs) <laughs> well, I, after that, I worked at um, the local country club for, I think, a couple of summers just because it was an easy job. Um, and where was this? All in Waco, Waco, Waco. Texas. Okay. Yeah. Um, I worked at the country club, like serving people, and it was just a big party joke. I don't know. All of our managers were like 16. and. <laughs> um, but you yeah. were just a server? Yeah, I, w- I was like a server. Um, and I would work in the snack bar. Okay. Yeah. Um, like what kind of, what's a, what's a snack bar? It's just like the poolside snack bar, you know? Oh, like, okay. Where yeah. you get like French fries and stuff. Yeah. Okay. And how long did you do that? Was that just another summer thing? That was a summer thing. And then I would also, I was a camp counselor at the camp I grew up at. Um, so those were just like my summer jobs. What camp was that? Camp Longhorn. I feel like I was the only kid that grew up in Texas that didn't go to Camp Longhorn. Really? <laughs> like everybody was, went to this damn camp and I It's like a cult, yeah. Yeah. Out of way yeah, to everybody, go. Everybody everybody like goes to college and they're like, Oh, I know Sally from Amarillo from Camp Longhorn. And I was like, I live in Austin, I don't know anybody. Yeah, man, um, you missed out. It was I mean, it was <laughs> the best. Yeah. Okay, so let's move forward. What, okay. what did we do? Um was that kind of all through high school or were we in yeah, college that, now? Or? Yeah, that was high school. Um, so then I, yeah, I was, went to college. Um, I was pretty lucky. My parents said they'd pay for my undergrad. Um, I only applied to one school because I'm just like that. Um, and I knew I would get in. So I went to University of Colorado. I knew I wanted to get out of Waco. I just wanted to like hike and chill. Um, but... I think the only job I had there was um, I worked for a call center for like two or three weeks and that also sucked. (laughs) Was this like a short term thing or you just left after two or three weeks? I, yeah, I, I mean the turnaround was um, pretty high there. I would say. What was, what kind of calling were you having to do? So I I had to call like alumni and ask them for money. And I, yeah. And I had the list that was like just graduated so I got They're like, at. I still have student yeah. debt. Why yeah. are you calling me? Yeah. And, and I, I still get those calls and yeah. I've been out of college for 30, I don't know, 15 what? years maybe. And I still, it still says UT don't answer. Like that's what, <laughs> that's what the, the number is. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Um, that, I mean, it it's was like, what, what were, what were some of the responses people were giving you? Cause so I mean, I'm cold like, calling, cold calling already is a terrible terrible job like if anybody that's not everybody if anybody doesn't know the difference between like warm cold hot calling whatever Mm -hmm. a warm call is when uh someone feels like fills out a form on your website and you get an email that says that that they're interested and they gave you their phone number and so you call them and you're following up with them that's a warm lead cold calling or a cold lead is a number that you got from somewhere and you're just calling them out of the blue mm-hmm. and you're calling them, interrupting them in the middle of whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. 
and just stopping them to give them your pitch. And so you're, I'm sure everybody has been on the, the wrong end of this thing, but the people who have to do the cold calling is, is just, it's just a rough gig. So give, yeah, give us some, some context into what some people were. And so, yeah, so you were calling people who had just graduated. They had just gotten done with finals or mm-hmm. recently they were just, they, maybe they were trying to find a job yeah. and they couldn't find a job and they had student debt and then yeah. you were calling to ask them for money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of, most people were angry, um, (laughs) at me and I'm, but I am kind of like a sucker for like a good, like sob story. I don't know. So I would kind of be like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like, tell me, tell me about it. (laughs) You know? So I kind of like became a counselor. I didn't make any money. I don't even think like anyone gave me money. Um, so I, yeah, what was the pay structure like? Is that supposed to be an hourly job or did you make commission or were you yeah, supposed to make commission? I, yeah, I was supposed to make commission on top of it, but I, I really so don't. Wait, 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 wait. The universities that get these poor schlocks to call, to get money from alumni are giving a percentage of that money to the person that is calling them. I believe so. Yeah. I'm pretty that sure. That is yeah, the most disgusting better. thing I've ever heard. Yeah, because my roommate was really good at it, and she was definitely making more than me. Um, but anyway, I think everyone should well, do I'm it. I'm never giving money to my university now. Don't, yeah. At least not to one of those people. <laughs> but I think everyone should do, like, a really shitty cold job, like, calling job in their lifetime. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It, it, it forces you to – yeah, fin- finish what you were going to say. Cause I, it, I mean, I, I still struggle – talking on the phone to people. I don't know why it's like the worst quality about me. I, I'm not good at it, but so that helped that, but also it like really thickened my skin and, uh, people yelled at me constantly. And, you know, after a while you're, you just become numb to it. And I think everyone should experience yeah, that. I, I agree. It's, it's almost, it's almost like kind of saying that everybody should have to like wait tables Yeah. so yeah. they can experience, you know, what it's like to be on the How other side of that. People are. <laughs> yeah. So you, ha- so you can have a little compassion, mm-hmm. Yeah. Towards, you know, the, the other people and in jobs that are less desirable than, than you might find. Um, okay. So after, after your very long stint as a cold (laughs) caller, commission, commission paid cold caller for a university. I, then I, um, I guess it's time for intern, my internship. Um, so I guess around my like sophomore year, I, I, realized I was going to be graduating a year early. So I started looking for internships. Then um, I had a a really cool family friend who I always admire living in LA and she was uh, doing sales for like fashion brands and stuff. So I contacted her and um, she got me a internship at the showroom she was working at. And I mean, I, I've always been like a tomboy, so I know it, it was kind of weird but I also always kind of like appreciated and loved fashion as like an art form. So went and did that. Um, and what were you doing specifically? So I didn't know what I was going to do um, before getting there, but basically I would just hang out in the showroom from like 10 to four and people would ask me to like organize their business cards sometimes. Um, like check How do you in. organize business cards (laughs) well i think i like organized them alphabetically in a spreadsheet for someone once Um, oh it was like someone's rolodex yeah and 
I, I would check in and out samples. It was actually like a bat, a really cool show showroom, um, in West Hollywood. It was like Japanese streetwear and a lot of like new and upcoming rappers were like really into this brand. So like we would check out stuff for rappers and, um, I did a couple photo shoots and, um, I would what's try a, to like, what's a check out or a check in just so we'd send samples to like different, like semi-famous people so that they could wear the clothes for their, um, like music video or something. And then they'd bring it back and we'd check it back in. So I was like the check in, check out girl. So it was kind of like rent the runway, but, <laughs> sure you weren't they, they weren't paying for it yeah yeah is that is that how brands kind of get their name out is they just send people um clothes to wear in kind of for sure in pictures and interviews and stuff and then and then the clothes go back why, why don't they just yeah. keep the clothes well sometimes they keep the clothes so so this was a showroom so everything is sample size and these are all our samples Okay. Um, so yeah, mostly they come back. Um, but if like they really wanted it, we'd let them keep it and then we'd like replace the sample. Um, and they got, just got to keep it for free. Yeah. Cause they were like really cool LA rappers. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and how do you find, do, do they, did, and maybe you know the answer to this, maybe you don't, but do they request the clothes or do you go out and actively say, Hey, I think you should wear my brand. Or is there a sales team that goes out and try to find these kind of like semi-famous rappers and find out that they're doing a music video and say, Hey, we'll send you some clothes. Like how does that interaction happen? I, I think mostly it was a lot of connections with stylists um, who knew the showroom or knew the people in the showroom um, who were like contacting us. I think the sales team was mostly focused on getting um, the product into retailers, but okay. they could have also been reaching out to famous people. I'm not, I, you know, I was just check in, check out girl. So Got it. Sure. <laughs> okay. fair enough. Okay. How long did you do that for? Is that just, a that summer? was, yeah, that was a summer and that was okay. a crazy in summer. Hollywood, you said, yeah, I lived, um, I lived on the USC campus in a frat house because it was the cheapest place to live in LA. I literally did the same thing. I lived, <laughs> no at, the, I lived at the Pike house at USC and all of the, all of the sororities closed down yeah. for the summer. So the girls move into the guys frat houses. Yeah. So it's like a co-ed. I might've which, lived at the pack. I don't remember. It was the close. The one that I lived at was the closest to the nine O bar. That was across from. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Did we live at the same house? No, I didn't. I don't think I lived at that one, but I remember because I wasn't 21. So I would try to go to that bar all the time. And but they had that little electronic scanner. Yeah. I couldn't get in most of the time, but uh, I was, <laughs> I, that's so funny. Cause what did I, you, why were you living there? I, I was doing an internship um, where I had to digitize legal. Um, uh, what's it called? What uh, deposition. So like when you're, when a lawyer interviews someone to, you know, get the truth out, you know, mm -hmm. in a private setting, so then they can ask them a question again in court. Uh, those are videotaped and then recorded. And then there's a transcript, you know, the court reporter. And so I was having to kind of watch the transcript, the printout transcript and hit enter at the end of every line so they could match up the video with the 
so if, if they were looking for a very specific part of a sentence, they could go to that sentence and then scan the barcode at the bottom of that page and then it would pull up that video. But that wow. was like in 2002. Wow. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Super high tech. Yeah. Super high tech. But I got to live at, but I got to live in Comp- Compton. And he, so yeah. the funny thing about that is I remember, so I drove my mom's 93 Cadillac DeVille out there, Dang. Um, which was awesome. Yeah. And the traffic out there was nuts. Everybody was really, you know, angry, but like, I was just in this boat and I was just kind of swing wide <laughs> down like the, was it the 105 or one, whatever that thing's called. And, uh, and nobody would like get anywhere close to me. Cause they just, they knew that I just would swing out, swing wide. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I remember going to a Ralph's. So their grocery store out there is called Ralph's. And I went to a Ralph's and I came back and I was like, guys, y'all's grocery store is like really sketch. Yeah. And they're like, wait a minute. They're like, did you go to the Ralph's like below whatever street? And I was like, yeah, that's like the closest one. They're like, no, 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 no. You don't go to that one. I was like, yeah, it had bars on the windows. And they're like, yeah, don't go to that grocery store. They're like, go to this one. And then I go to that one and it's like night and day. They're like a mile apart. <laughs> but it was like super sketch. I thought I might get stabbed versus walking into like a super nice high-end grocery store that it's like I'm walking into a grocery store yeah um but yeah being out in LA for summer I I I can you're lucky you I, had a car. I I had to take the bus every day from oh no USC, way USC to West Hollywood and that was like the like people would fight over who would get to sit next to me and I was just like so timid are you serious it was it was an adventure for sure oh my god yeah well okay <laughs> Make whatever what what doesn't kill you yeah seriously um okay so um check in check out at the japanese streetwear yeah. rappers delight place mm-hmm. um and then did you go get a real job yeah so i um i was just about to graduate and i started applying for jobs and basically i guess all i had and experience was like this fashion stuff um so I got a, a phone interview with like the biggest pageant and prom dress designer um, probably in the world. I don't, I don't know. Um, so you who, wanted to do fashion, it sounds like. I, I kind of wanted to continue to do it because like I was doing like photo shoots and stuff and like, again, not working at a desk. And I was like, this is cool. Like I could do okay. this. Okay. Um, so I got that job with this, uh, it's called Sherry Hill. Um, she does like Miss Universe and, and everything, but she's in Austin. So I was like, cool. Um, I've always wanted to live in Austin. Um, so they flew me out, um, out of college to their big trade show in Atlanta. And this was going to be like my test. Um, and I was still taking all my finals as I was at this trade show, which I don't know if you've ever worked a trade show, but it's like, we couldn't take breaks. We had to like be on our feet for like four Mm -hmm. days straight and like a smile on our face and talk to people. And I just remember it being like one of the hardest things I've ever done, but I finished my finals there and I worked the trade show and I got the job and, um, moved to Austin and, and worked, um, in the pageant and prom industry for like two years. Um, which was cool. I mean, like I, I did photo shoots again, like in Miami, New York, we did like New York fashion week. Um, and so I'm starting to kind of see the path that you're taking with 
you know, we're talking about dresses and what you do now is promote packaged goods, but mm -hmm. a, a dress is nothing more than a, a package that you're photographing in, in, you know, in so many words. So I, I'm kind of seeing how you jumped from this to, to that. And I know we've got more things to go through, but I, I'm seeing how you kind of have landed on the Allison kind of likes pretty things <laughs> and, and she wants to work with pretty things and promote pretty things. Is, am I getting that right? Or. Yeah. I, I mean, I was always like, an artist like that was kind of like my thing when I was growing up I, I was always like in all the art clubs and painting and my mom is an artist so I think I was like really into design and yeah beautiful things so mm -hmm. yeah okay so you did that for two years I did that for two years and, and, and that was and that was photographing and like what were your specific so jobs? I was I was in sales technically um, but I kind of did, it was a small company. So I, I kind of like did all the photo shoots as well. Um, and then, like I said, we had all these like trade shows and, and fashion week and stuff all the time. So, so tell us more about a trade show. Cause I, you know, I, I have myself have worked some trade shows and you saying that it's a very difficult thing. I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. Cause you got the yeah. people that are ignoring you and then you're trying to like get out in front of them and be like, Hey, why don't you come over here? And yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess. Um, but can you give us more insight into what what was the goal at a trade show? Because I know everybody goes to trade shows for different reasons. Yeah, I mean, my goal or my job was to sell, to sling dresses. So to sell as much as I could. Um, I think Individual it, dresses or are you trying to sell like an account? Like an account would, yeah, either. So new accounts, I would sign up and, you know, um, sell them that line for that season and try to get them to buy as much as possible and like steer them in the right direction for like whoever their kind of demographic is depending on you know their city or you know who buys dresses um at their store and did you have the dresses there yeah all the dresses were there um, and so that you this was almost like a mini pop-up shop but huge like i i our showroom for this trade show was probably like I don't know, 2000 square feet, maybe bigger. What? It, yeah, it was massive. Um, so like when I like, would go to, when I would go to Salesforce, salesforce.com's big thing annually every year, I think the company I worked for paid for like, you know, two or three days paid like $40,000 for a booth that was probably 10 feet by eight feet. Yeah. We had a whole big thing with like a runway and a bar and like, it was nuts, but what kind of a, what kind of a, an, a, an event center was this in and how many more people like you were in this? It was in, um, Atlanta's merchant center. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. We also did it in like Chicago's big trade show center. Um, so like how many other 2000 I, square foot quote unquote booths? There was were probably there? only like three or four other as big as ours. Um, okay. But there was tons, tons of designers. So y'all were just one of the main. She's like, yeah, she was like the sponsors. biggest. Okay. Yeah. If you ever need a pageant dress, Sherry Hill. Okay. Sherry um, Hill. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did that for two years. Um, I think that whole kind of like pageant girl world, I, I knew I never would fit in. I didn't want to fit in. So it became a time for me to get 
out. So like kind of like run away even. So I decided I saw uh, Vietnam once in a National Geographic like six years ago. And I just decided like, I'm going to move to Vietnam. So I quit sharing. You, you, you moved there because you just saw it in a magazine. I saw it in a magazine and it looked so pretty and I wanted to like really get far away. <laughs> Allison just, likes beautiful things. Yeah, I love um, beautiful things. So, okay. Did you, did you say, I want to run away? You saw the magazine and then you did it? Or did you see the magazine at some point in time in the past? You wanted to run away and you're like, man, I remember that one picture in that magazine. I just can't get it out of my head. I'm going to go to Vietnam. Yeah, it was more like I saw it in a magazine a long time ago and it just was pretty and I wanted to check it out. So I'm going to do okay. that. And I'd, awesome. I'd done like Europe and stuff. And I wanted something that was kind of like more in your face and like something a little, I don't know, more adventure. So what, what, what was the, for someone, you know, you, you seem to be well-traveled. What was the experience like completely not going on vacation, but it, immersing yourself? And what were the immediate things that you remember being like, whoa, I'm out of my element. What were, <laughs> were those things? Yeah. And I do this thing before I go anywhere where I like, don't look, I don't research at all. So I'm just oh, like, wow. so surprised. I showed up and like a, a seven-year-old child was um, smoking a cigarette right outside the airport. So that was like the first like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I like continuously got ripped off, like, uh, you know, as I'm like taking my taxi and everything but it was all part of it i mean how did you get ripped off how did you know you got ripped off uh well looking back um oh, okay. I, think it, I think it should cost like a thousand or a hundred thousand vietnamese dong to get from the airport to saigon proper and it they charged me like i don't know five times that and okay you know, all those things happened um but i kind of like took it as like a learning experience i don't know um but yeah, I moved there with no job. Um, I didn't have a place to stay. Uh, I was just staying at a hostel. Um, but I knew I could you probably you I, tell me you at least researched the hostel before yeah. you showed up. <laughs> well, you didn't just like show up in a country and be like, okay, where am I going to stay? <laughs> no, yeah, I like I planned on going to this hostel to like book my room. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I knew I could teach English there because that's what everyone else was doing. Um, and I, I ended up moving into, I got a job teaching English at just like a random school and ended up moving into um, a house with like a bunch of other expats. Um, and Why are they called expats? Expatriates. But you're not like, you're not <laughs> gone forever. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Okay, fine. But that, yeah, so expat house. Um, but yeah, one of my roommates was um, in this online community called the Dynamite Circle. I don't know if you've heard Ooh, of it. What's that? <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's, um, it's like a digital nomad group, I guess. I I never joined it, but apparently Austin is a hub for it, as well as Saigon and a few other places around the world. And it's people who call themselves digital nomads because they like work online and travel the world. And that was the first time I've ever heard of the term digital nomad and you yeah know, so tell, I, tell us more I, I know what it is but for everybody else like give them kind of a one you know crash course and what a digital nomad is because i think that's going to become much, a much more popular thing in the next decade yeah it's just basically anyone who 
um, works online or owns a business that's like an online business. So like no brick or mortar or anything to tie you down, I think is kind of the thing about it. Um, and Nomad obviously is they travel around the world. Um, so you're, you're basically like traveling and working at the same time, kind of getting like the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I, I did that recently when I was in uh, Montana for three weeks. It was the, my first time ever to do it. And it's a weird, it's a weird thing because you, everybody thinks you're on vacation yeah, because you're gone and they're like, Oh, well, Chad, you're on vacation. Or even people that, that I, my business partner was like, Oh, well, I know you're on vacation, but I'm like, I'm not, I'm not on vacation. Stop. Like, mm -hmm. why do you keep saying that? Um, but it's a weird thing because you're just doing what you do normally, mm -hmm. except you're not sitting at your desk in your house. You're sitting at a desk somewhere else or at a coffee shop, not at home, but a coffee shop somewhere else. And you're just working like you normally would, but you're just doing it in somewhere another else. state or somewhere else. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, um, it's really, so what's important. the name of this digital nomad circus thing again? Uh, Diamond circle, Di dynamite circle, dynamite circle, dynamite circle. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, like you, like it's really important to me still to like take a week and go somewhere that's like out of your element. It, it always helps me like get some like creative problem solving and new ideas mm -hmm. flowing. So I'm still really into that aspect. Um, I'm not really traveling around as much anymore, but yeah. So I just show up in Saigon and happens to be this huge hub of digital nomads and expats. And I accidentally move in with one of them. So they quickly became my community, I guess, um, everyone was either like starting their own business, um, because it's so cheap to live in Saigon. It's really makes it a lot less stressful to start your own business, um, or already had a successful business. And I kind of had always known that that would be my path too, is to own my own business. Um, so I just kind of like lucked out and fell into like a little perfect incubator for my personal growth. I so, guess. so were these, these people, maybe didn't have a, a place that, you know, they're, I guess what I would call home. Like they would just, they would just shut down their lease or whatever, and then move to Saigon because the cost of living was less expensive and that gave them kind of more runway on their savings. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And some people lived in Saigon and like that was their new home or at least for like a couple months out of the year. Um, some people would just pass through. Um, it was just kind of like whatever, felt right for you. Time for a sponsored message. Get your LLC from betterlegal.com. The state filing, EIN filing, and operating agreement for one price as fast as your state will allow. Also offering registered agent service and ongoing state compliance. Let Better Legal handle formalities so you can handle the actual business. Okay, so you accidentally fell into this awesome group. What, mm -hmm. you know, what was the experience like there? What'd you learn from them? What what happened? I, I mean, did you still teach English? Um, so I was still teaching English. Um, but I also started hearing this was about like five years ago. So this is before drop shipping became like this huge, crazy thing. Um, Can you explain what drop shipping is real quick? Uh, sure. It's, it's basically when you, you, sorry. Uh, so I started a dropshipping store and I set up my own website and I sold um, goods from a distributor and I sold them directly to the public. So you're, you're kind of 
like the middleman between the, you're just selling online um, manufacturers goods. It's, it's almost, it's almost no different than just being a grocery store where the grocery store is the middleman between, you know, Kraft who makes the cheese and then you who buys the cheese. But the difference is you don't have a brick and mortar store. You have an online store. And so mm -hmm. when someone buys something, you don't have any inventory when they buy it, it goes directly from the distributor to them. And all you did was facilitate the, the transaction and the education to the customer. Right. So all you have to spend on is marketing the product, um, any customer service, obviously hosting your website. So that's why people really love this model is because you're not buying inventory to like stock your website. You're just telling the distributor, okay, I have an order. Can you ship it to this customer for me? Um, so it's and really so, cool. Did you, so you started doing that yeah. because of this, this group of people and you learned yeah. about that there? Yeah, that was like kind of like the buzz word business going on at that point in time. And so I figured I'll just um, start one as well. And someone gave me um, what would be my future boss's course. Um, and I set up a store and I chose a niche. I was selling camping hammocks. Um, and it when I, I only did it for like, I don't know, a year or so. But when I was growing it, I was making about like 1500 a month, which was more than I was making teaching and wasn't spending a lot of time on it. So it was, it was pretty sweet. Like it, it proved to me like, Oh, this is like, this stuff works, you know, <laughs> like you can actually do these types of things. Um, and so you just set it up. How long did it take you to set it up before you got your first order? And what was that first order? Like, what was the feeling like on that first order? Oh, I mean, so good. But so the setup process is a bit longer because, um, if you haven't ever created a website before you, there's a, a bit of a learning curve. Um, obviously like Shopify makes it super easy. Um, but then you also have to reach out to these manufacturers and basically sell yourself and your business, even though it's not even a business at this point and, um, you know, like build and establish trust with them. And, uh, so there's some groundwork. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I got all the products uploaded. I think I used a virtual assistant um, to help me upload all the products to my site and help me set up my site. So it, was, it, it didn't take really that long, maybe a couple months, two months or so. And then, and then how many hammocks were you selling like a month? Oh gosh. I don't, I don't really remember. Um, was it one, five, 10, hundred? Maybe. Yeah. Like more than, hmm. More than like around 10 to 15 a month. Okay. Yeah. And you were getting, and you were making about 1500 a month plus you were working. And so how many hours are you spending a, a, a week maybe on this business after the setup? Um, not much, maybe anywhere from like five to 10 hours. Um, Total a week. Yeah. Just when I felt like it. Okay. Um, but yeah, the more you put in, like I know people that have like very successful drop shipping businesses and it's like all they do. Um, but mine was just kind of like a side thing that I just wanted to try out. And, okay. um, but yeah, that led me to, um, my, the, the guy that whose course I took actually lived in Saigon and posted, um, that he was hiring his first employee. He wanted someone to help, uh, do digital marketing for him. And I was like, this is, I want to learn from this guy. Like he is, you know, so smart. He knows what's up. 
Um, so I applied and um, I, I've never, I never did marketing before. I think I actually had to Google like what is marketing because I, I didn't really understand it. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I'm pretty good at like evolving my resume to fit the needs of like the job I want. So yeah, I, got, okay. I, got, I got the job um, and I, I was pretty awesome. Like he, he taught me so much and any like edu he any educational like courses I wanted to take, he would buy for me. So it was just like more growth and like learning and um, really like. So that company, um, that, that's grown a lot because he, he has several employees now in an office in Austin. Yeah. And so like, how, how did you go from, he was your, you were his first employee. So he was living in Saigon, just yeah, like was, doing mm -hmm. his thing out of there. And then what brought him and you to Austin? Well, so he maybe had like, um, a hundred, 200, uh, people in this course and like his membership site. And I came on and, uh, we just grew it really, really quickly. And, I think we hired another person and then what, what did you, what, what did you do to grow it? What, so what was the successful I, stuff? That's when I started getting into like paid media. So all Facebook advertising, mostly, um, spending like, I would say 95% of our marketing budget on Facebook advertising. And then, um, as we were growing, increasing the budget. Um, and so for, I, so for someone who is showing, selling a drop ship course, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what demographic are you going after? So it, it was kind of all over the place. It was, um, you know, retired people that wanted to like make some extra income. It was, uh, like young kids in college who were like really into this sort of thing who wanted to like make income. But is there like a Facebook s in setting where it's like, looking to start a business or looking into entrepreneurship? Like what, what is the thing you click to get in front of those people versus getting in front of someone like my mom who would never do it? <laughs> it was, um, a lot of interest. Like, I don't know, like Tim Ferriss and Dave okay. Asprey and like those types of guys who were idols for like digital nomads and, yep, yep, and entrepreneurs. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you were then, just, you were just going after the, he, he was trying to sell a course. Um, and to the people who idolize Tim Ferriss, so it's obviously a good idea to say, I want to advertise the people who follow Tim Ferriss's page. Yeah. And, and you like, can just do that, that yeah. easily on Facebook? Yeah, you, you can um, target people who are interested in Tim Ferriss. And he wrote the four-hour work week, which dropshipping doesn't take very long. Um, so we kind of like modeled after the four-hour work week a little bit. Um, so yeah, he was one of the biggest uh, target interest groups that I use. but. Okay. So you started growing it. How, so he, you said, uh, he had a couple hundred people in the, the course, you know, did it double, did it triple how, and how quickly did that happen? Yeah, we, I think in like a year and a half, um, it definitely maybe like 10 X. I don't, I don't really wow. know. Okay. Um, but so it was definitely time to grow, uh, our roster of employees and, um, he, you know, was getting married, like wanted to settle down a little bit. Um, he was thinking either like Boulder, Austin or San Francisco to move back to. And I was like, let's go to, back to Austin. So we did and um, grew the team even more like with some amazing people. And uh, but 
I was back in an office all of a sudden. Um, and I think the office life kind of like slowly sucked the life out of me again. And, um, so it was time to move on after I think like two and a half years. Um, I'd kind of like hit my ceiling there. And, um, like I said, creative spaces are really important for me to get like great quality work done. And I just wasn't getting that anymore. Um, you know, we were living in Saigon and like I would travel to Thailand for the weekend and, you know, things like that. I was just, yeah. wasn't having that anymore. So, um, so it wasn't necessarily the work because the work didn't change. Mm -hmm. It was the environment. I think it was the environment that changed and I just kind of got stale. And so, it, so, so, so almost <laughs> you started as a digital nomad because that was the environment that the company was in at the time. But then yeah. as it grew, it became a nine to five job in an yeah. office and that's what turned you off. Yeah. And I, I mean, I respect, um, his decision to, you know, he wanted, he has all these new employees, like they probably needed to be all together in an office nine to five. It just, it wasn't for me anymore. Um, do you, do you think if, if that hadn't changed and you were able to do a remote, uh, organization where, you know, he just hired people from different areas that were specialized. Um, and then you still got to kind of stay where you were and, and, and do that job. Do you think you would have continued to do that job? Um, yeah. So yeah. it literally was the office. Yeah, I think I would have continued to do it. But that being said, I think I really had kind of given it my all. Um, and I think it was time to let someone else come in and bring them to the next level or do something different, you know? Um, okay. Yeah. So, and it, it kind of all came at a, a, a good time. My, um, my friend that I had, I had worked with at Sherry Hill, um, we both kind of like did not fit into the pageant world. So we, we became friends there. Um, she got laid off and was doing freelance work, doing social media freelance work and kept asking me to, help her or join forces with her. And I kept saying, no, um, like, no, I'm too busy. Like I'm trying to grow this team. I don't have time. And, uh, then it all came to like realization, like, no, I think it's time for me to do something else. And so I quit and called her the next day and I said, okay, let's do it. And that's how my marketing kind of came to be. <laughs> how long, how long ago was that? It's, um, almost been a year. Okay. So not, yes, I think it'll and, be a year in September. And so now, and so you started Umai. What was the discussion like when y'all both started? Because you both now were starting fresh, didn't have jobs. You had a lot of experience. Uh, yeah. What were the initial conversations like? How did y'all come to the idea of what's, I, I know why you're doing the marketing but how did you go in the direction of getting your first clients or going after CPG? Was that a, was that a conscious decision or was that a, your first client was CPG and then it was a referral? How did the, the, that first start kind of go? Yeah. So Karen, um, my business partner, she worked in CPG for, um, a long time. Uh, she worked with like vital farms, the egg company. Yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah, Nilo Pet Food. Um, so she really knew CPG and had a lot of connections, I would say. 
in that arena. And so did y'all uh, have clients kind of right out of the gate? Yeah. So as soon as she got laid off, which sounds, you know, she thought it would be like the worst thing ever. Like the next day, one of her old bosses um, called her and said, I have so much work for you. And she immediately But that's got, kind of how it always goes. Like everybody <laughs> you gets, when you get laid off and I've been laid off just as much as anybody has, it sometimes it felt good because I was, I was, I knew I was in a bad place. Yeah. And it was almost like taking the shackles off. Yeah. It was like, it's it, because, because at, uh, at one point, you know, you're, you have a steady job and you have a steady income and you want to go do something else, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a foolish decision to yeah. stop taking money and going after something that is a total black hole. So you always kind of want to jump, right? For sure. You want to jump into another job that's got, that's got money. So getting laid off a lot of times just feels like a huge, you know, punch to the gut. When in reality, it's, it's giving you this freedom. And, and I always like to think that people are most creative when they're constrained, like when they have you know, certain parameters that they have to live within. And what I mean by that is you, you, know, you got laid off. That sucks. Sorry. But now you only have a certain amount of money left. You're forced into a corner. You're yeah. forced into doing something. And you're going to be creative and you're going to kind of hustle a little bit. You're going to find that stuff. And so, so for her, it just, it seems like it just kind of, it was a perfect little storm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that's funny. I just had a conversation with someone the other day and they were asking me, they wanted to know about my mindset and how I started a business. And, and I think that's just the biggest problem for everyone. Like, it's so scary. Like I remember quitting my job, it being the scariest thing ever because I was, had a great position with a great company with people I really liked, but yeah, I mean, I knew there was something better or I needed to do something more out there. So it, it's just scary. <laughs> yeah. and, and sometimes you need the push that's like getting laid off. Um, but yeah, so she had a bunch of um, connections, I guess, in the CPG space and knew that uh, industry really well. So I, and we, we thought it'd be smart to, niche ourselves down, like I said, and just, um, focus on a certain vertical to be the best at it. Um, and what, what gave you that, what, what brought you to that decision? Uh, I mean, we kind of were on the same page right away. Um, cause, so. cause I think a lot of people make the mistake of, you know, saying like I do online marketing and then they just want work. So they go after, any work that they can get mm-hmm. when what you really need to do is what you y'all did, which is go after a very specific, okay, we're doing social media marketing for consumer packaged goods. That's it. Mm-hmm. And if someone asks you to do something outside of it and you've got some extra work or you've got some extra time, maybe you do it. But if you focus on that one thing and you can do it really, really, really well, then the people that, are shopping for you are going to feel more comfortable that you're an expert in something instead of like a jack of all trades. Yeah. I mean, I just hate that. Like people who are jack of all trades are like, think that's like really awesome. I, I get it because I am like that. I have shiny object syndrome and you know, for like a month I'll dabble in SEO. That's a great term by the way. And think like keywords are like the coolest thing ever. Um, But you, I mean, to be an expert at something, you have to spend a a large amount of hours on that certain thing. So 
Um, the good old Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hour rule. 10,000 hours. Yeah. <laughs> is that, which, which book of that is, is that blank? I don't know. <laughs> I think I it's blank. If any, if everybody's wondering what we're talking about, Malcolm Gladwell, the author, I think blank is the, the book that we're referencing says that in order to be an expert at something or a master, you have to do it for 10,000 hours. So if you're learning how to play the piano, 10,000 hours on the piano, if you're learning how to play tennis, 10,000 hours playing tennis. So if you want to be really, really, really good at something and you're not just naturally talented, all you have to do is spend 10,000 hours. <laughs> Which, yeah, I wonder what that makes up to in <laughs> here. But I, I did that calculation once and I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you don't, you don't, I don't think you want to do that. I think you just kind of keep it like as a glob in your mind. Like, yeah, I'm probably 10th of the way there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it was important for us to niche down and like our expertise and with who we worked with, because we, we think that's important to, to give quality work. So we were really on the same page, um, on a lot of stuff. I mean, I highly recommend, um, finding a business partner. I know you have a business partner too, Chad. And mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, she's like the yin to my yang and yeah, there's a lot of stuff that like we all fight we disagree on things. Sure. And it's, I mean, but like, don't you want to be checked on things and don't you want to have a That's conversation? The funny thing. That's the funny <laughs> thing. It's is. Yeah. Like I get my, my business partner and I get into knockdown drag out fights. <laughs> um, we don't actually hit each other, but we like, we yell, we yell at each other, like red face yelling at each other and get into real arguments. But you know, we've been friends for a decade. And so I, I have a buddy who um, owns a very successful startup and he was a solo founder. And he, every time he sees me, he goes, so are you and Joey still friends? <laughs> Almost like he's expecting failure in our friendship. Like you don't want to go into business with your friends. But I think what works for Joey and I is that because we've been friends for so long, we're both very kind of heated personalities or passionate people. We learned how to fight as friends. And so now as business partners, when we fight, we know that we can be mad at each other. And all we just need to do is get away from each other and but how, how do y'all's conflicts go like your disagreements like are they big ones are they little ones or they're yeah I think um we're both like extremely headstrong and we don't take criticism that well and uh I always think I'm right and um so I it was definitely a learning curve and I have never really like answered to anyone um and mm -hmm. well I guess in the past couple of years so you know, I just thought I was right about everything. And, um, so it's just learning to kind of, um, listen and <laughs> yeah. Just and I think, I think the thing that's important, I think the thing that's important is that, um, and you probably understand this, um, and anybody else that has a business partner that they're still talking to can understand is that doing this alone, doing something big and something that's, that's very ambitious alone is very lonely and mm -hmm. very difficult. And you don't have that other person to celebrate wins with, mm -hmm. you know, like you tell people about what you do and they know about maybe who your clients are and things like that, but they don't know the inner working, the daily inner working stuff where it's like, if you're depressed about something, you have someone to vent to. If you are happy about something, you have someone to celebrate with. You're a team. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's like you get like emotional support <laughs> on a lot of things and yeah. Yeah, I can't and, imagine it doing it alone, really. And, and it does give you another perspective because we all think we're right. And yeah. the, the thing that, that I've mentioned before is 
you know, my opinion is that everybody should expose themselves to as many different things as possible and then pick out the things that they like. So when you have someone that is disagreeing with you, there are those little golden nuggets in the disagreement where you're like, well, hell, hell, wait, wait a minute. That's actually a great idea. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have gotten there unless I had gotten into this argument about this, this subject. Yeah, 100%. And like, I have so much mad respect for my um, partner. Like she works her ass off and, you know, so like every day I'm grateful for her. And I think that helps um, when arguments come up too, is like, I'm eternally grateful for her. She not only kind of brought me into this business, which happened to be like one of the greatest decisions ever, but like, you know, she's helping it succeed and just like does great work. So yeah, if you find someone, just make sure that they're a hard worker and <laughs> so you can stay grateful for them. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what are some of the, like, what are some of the brands that you, you do that, that are your favorites? What kind of brands would you like to, you know, evolve into? Yeah. Um, so we started kind of, uh, just with like food and beverage. Um, like we had a coffee brand, we have this amazing kimchi, uh, brand from New York. Um, but now we're, we're starting to get more into the beauty space. Um, which is really fun. <laughs> it's just so fun. Like you said earlier, it's just beautiful. Um, so I love it. Um, mm. And I get to launch campaigns that are not only like super st strategic um, in that, you know, maybe have like a great return, but they're also like visually beautiful. So um, yeah, we're trying to get more into the beauty space. Um, how do you find a client? It's all been word of mouth um, and referrals thus far. We, like I said earlier, we're working on kind of um, an educational component of Umai. So packaging together um, some of our SOPs into like really beautiful deliverables. What's an SOP? Uh, <laughs> gosh, every time someone asks me this, I can't remember what it is, even well, though I say this word all day. <laughs> like if, if I don't check anybody that I interview, it's going to be the, the death of TLAs, which stands for three letter acronyms. Okay. Standard operating procedure. Okay. That's what it is. But, um, so we obviously make SOPs all day for our business. But what um, is an SOP? Like, what is it to someone who doesn't know what it is? So anything that you do, um, I kind of say like anything you do on repeat um, for a client. So if that's like onboarding a client, we obviously have to do that every time. Um, if it's setting up uh, accounts for a client, if it's um, we do like social giveaways, those are all basically can be templated and that's like a system. So we write it down, we outline it step-by-step step, um, everything that we do that's repeated. And that I think is like one of the biggest ways to grow your business because when you, um, when someone comes on or when things are really busy um, and you need to teach someone new how to do these things, it's just like all already there. So if, if you, you've got these, these processes or these, I like, you know, templated systems um, or just templates, let's call them. Um, 
what you mentioned an educational component. Is that for internal use only? So it originally was for internal use, but um, now we are starting to, to uh, package them and we want to eventually kind of sell them to maybe uh, brands that can't afford us yet, or, you know, it's not their time to hire on a market marketing agency. They don't That's have a awesome. budget. Yeah. So, so like a course, like a like, guide. Yeah. Like a guide. Um, I really so kind of like doing what the, the drop shipping course exactly. company did is creating a, it's really funny that you're doing that. Cause I am doing the same thing right now, which is doing like, I I've had this longstanding thought, um, ever since back in 2003, when I worked for Dell, that sales is nothing more sales and marketing is nothing more than education. Mm -hmm. And all that you're doing is educating somebody about what it is that they don't know about yet. Mm -hmm. And it could be a product, it could be a service, but what you're doing is, so you're, you know, you develop these SOPs for uh, internal use of like, okay, if a customer wants to do a giveaway, this is how it goes. And this is how you do it successfully. This is what you don't do. This is how it can go badly. But, right. you know, you can also just kind of put that into like a little catalog mm -hmm. and give it to your customers as like a, a almost like a, like a, a shopping list. Like, Hey, if you get the inkling to do any of these things, this is what we do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, don't give away the secret sauce, but this is what we do. This is what we're capable of. And these are some case studies and numbers of what's successful. And it's just like a little uh, guide for them to say like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. I do want to try that. And so then you get more work out of them. But what you're also doing is you're taking the service-based work and you're turning it into a product mm -hmm. that you can sell to, you know, let's say you've got one client and, you know, they are 25% of your revenue. But if you can take everything that you know and put it into a course or a guide and then sell that guide to companies that are just getting started, you do a couple of things. You're, you're productizing something. So you're, you know, hopefully getting a bunch of sales and maybe it becomes a whole new 25% of your revenue. You're educating people on who your brand is. And then you're also cr creating credibility for your brand to these people who don't know you yet. So when they do get big enough, they're like, well, now we have enough money to hire my. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's, uh, it's not only, um, it's a way to bring in new leads, but it's also a way to just help more people, um, with, you know, the things that we already know how to do and have already tested and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes doing. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What, what, what kind of form is this guide or course going to be in? Is it going to be a digital course, a downloadable ebook or right what, now, do you, what do you think about selling it for? Uh, right now it's just, um, downloadable eBooks or PDFs. Um, and they're all under $50. Um, I've created a course before in how to like Facebook advertising. So I, I don't think I'll be doing that again. Um, but I think we'll just focus on like the eBooks, the quick consumable, um, action packed yeah. Ebooks. And and are these going to be specifically for consumer packaged goods or is this now because like is Umai specific to consumer packaged goods, but the processes and the things that you're teaching these in these courses are going to be more kind of general. And so you can sell them to kind of everybody. Yeah. And even our processes can be applied to other, yeah, other niches. Um, so yeah, they, they're for anyone. Um, we keep them pretty general. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, 
<laughs> Allison, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. To uh, to every why don't you share with everybody what your uh, your URL is? Umai, uh, I think is u m a i marketing dot com. That's right. Yep. And um, and where else can they find you on the interwebs, or if if you want to share that? Yeah. So I we're on Instagram. We're big on Instagram, obviously. Um, big at, on Instagram. Oh yeah, at umai marketing. Um, shoot us a DM there. <laughs> okay. Um, and to everybody else, so all our listeners, if you want to uh, leave some, leave a message uh, for me or for the guests, you can call 737-204-8711. Uh, Allison, again, thank you so much for coming on and spending time with us and giving us uh, your story. Uh, this is Chad Sakonchik from Looking Backward, signing off.